0: Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. I'm your host, Eric Flickinger, and delighted to have you with us once again. This is week number five of 13, where we are looking at the subject of being in the crucible with Christ. Why do Christians go through pain and suffering? What's the purpose? Why does God permit it if he's all-knowing and all-powerful and all-loving? Why do we still go through the challenges? A fascinating subject that we are looking at this quarter. And with me today... As always for this quarter, is the author of the Sabbath School Lesson, and that is Gavin Anthony. Gavin, welcome back once again. Thank you. And you're joining us all the way from Iceland, which is probably a little different than Tennessee, where we happen to be right now. How long does it take to get from there to here, give or take?
1: Well, it's about uh, six hours over to the East Coast um, and then down another two or three hours
0: so a few hours but we're glad to have you maybe next next time hopefully i can go over to iceland and maybe we'll record something over there but delighted to have you here and this insight that god has given you over the years through research through experience through stories and through bible stories of suffering and and its purpose it's not random god has a purpose in it something Something good will come out of it. At least that's, that's his desire. And over the course of the last few weeks, we've kind of been laying a foundation for why Christians suffer. And I wish in week number five, we could say, now everything gets better, but we're really not quite there yet. This week is called extreme heat, where it may have been hot in weeks past. Well, now things are going to get really hot. But the good news is God still has a purpose, doesn't he? Absolutely it does. Uh, but as you said, we're looking at
1: now some more extreme examples. So if we were, you know, a little bit cautious about whether God does this sort of stuff, now we're really going to be confronted with some uh, rather serious examples. And of course, we're always struggling with this issue, as you said at the beginning God is good. I'm trying to follow God honestly with all of my heart. So surely He will protect me from any pain and suffering but the reality is not quite like that and and maybe just an example i remember some years ago when i first went to iceland i asked the children to draw a picture of god they could represent god in any way on a piece of paper and they t- t- took oh, some time to do it it's really fascinating because in all of the children's drawings there was a picture of a heart they knew that god is a god of love the problem is that as we get older and as we begin to experience some of these challenges, conviction that God is a loving God and that He loves me even in the middle of this may not be as strong as, we,
0: as it was before. So as we get older, we get smarter, or at least we think we get smarter. Uh, perhaps we get more disillusioned. Maybe that's a, a better word or more distrusting of god or or of the situations that we happen to find ourselves in the story of of what happens as as we get older is eye-opening maybe not surprising but eye-opening there's another quote that you share here from uh, the author c.s lewis He, he wrote something that's again kind of profound thought provoking is perhaps a good description
1: yes his his wife was dying And in this process, um, he writes about it in his book, A Grief Observed. And he writes this. He says, not that I am, I think, in danger of ceasing to believe in God. So it's not a question of, is God there or is not there? No, he's not stopping believing in God. He says, the real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not, so there's no God after all. But, so this is what God is really like. So as he's going through pain, he's worried that the pain is going to cause him to conclude that God is not loving or God is somehow uh, mean or
0: uh, is not the God that he thought he was. So a change in perspective as to who God is maybe the the hearts in our drawings begin to get smaller or less distinct or fewer in number as we as we experience some of these these challenging times these painful experiences and maybe if we had a better understanding which is what we're endeavoring to do this quarter of why these things happen well the hearts wouldn't get smaller and fewer in number and less distinct maybe we'd have a better understanding of who god is through these challenging times. There's another story that that you make mention of in in the study guide that's also kind of touched you and and made an impression.
1: Yes, when I was uh, a teenager, my parents were missionaries in Sri Lanka. We all were living there. And this was in the very, very beginning of what became the Civil War. And it was a lot of unrest and fighting and killing between two ethnic groups. And in the early days of the rioting and terrible things were happening all around us on our our compound, but on the other side of the city um, was one of our pastors and there was rioting in the streets. They were burning houses and shops and looting and they were looking, the, the mobs were looking for people of the other racial group and... And they knew that he lived in a particular house. And the mob came down the street. But just before that happened, he and his wife, and she was pregnant, they went down a narrow alleyway to a courtyard where their house was. Um, There were two houses put together. There was his house and then the house of his landlady. And they knew that the mob was going to come straight to their house And so he knocked on the landlady's door, said, Please, will you hide us? So they are hidden under her bed. So if you think about it, there's Devadas, his pregnant wife, hiding under the bed of the landlady's house, and the mob come down this alleyway. And they're about to burn the house. But, of course, the landlady comes out and says, don't do it. It's connected to my house. Um, I'll find the key. I'll open the door, take whatever you want, and leave. So she did that. And they went into his house. And at that time, the pastor's prized possession was their motorcycle. They used it for ministry and to get everywhere they needed to go. And one of them, the guys, um, was about to take hold of, of the motorcycle and, and wheel it out, and then one of the group uh, saw a brand new sewing machine on the table and said, leave that, let's take the sewing machine and, and we'll, we'll go. They grabbed the sewing machine and ran out the house and left them. The landlady goes back um, to Devadas and the wife under the bed um, they come out eventually and she says, uh, I'm very sorry, but they've taken the sewing machine that was on the table but everything else is okay and they kind of look at each other rather puzzled and, and they said well what do you mean and she said yes the sewing machine which was on your table and they said no um we don't own a sewing machine you know it, even now the, the hairs on my arms just go up I, I it's just this happened many years ago i was 15 at the time what a remarkable story of God intervening in a very physical way. But now let's think about this. It's a great story to tell. For Devadas and his wife, what were they thinking and feeling under the bed as they heard that mob come down the, the alleyway, as they heard the noises in the house next to them? Um, what, what was uh, his wife thinking um, about the future of their unborn child. They were terrified. But maybe there's some other ways God could have handled this. He could have blinded the mob, like stories in the Bible, that they could have gone down the road and missed the entrance to their um, their house. Uh, maybe Devadas and his wife, God could have arranged them to be in another part of town, been away at their at their parents' house or something. But... In his providence, for some reason, he allowed them to be meters away from a bloodthirsty mob. Uh, And that's the way the story goes. And this is the reality we have story after story in the Bible, of God allowing his dearly beloved children to go through some terrible things... But as I guess we see at the end of it all, God is honored. You know, Even today, I tell this story. It's one of my favorite children's stories. It's like, wow, what an amazing God. And so even though they had this great fear, they came through it, they matured through it, and God was honored.
0: So a, a very challenging time through which God was honored, which reminds me very much— of a story in the Bible about Abraham. And we may not be able to cover all of it before we take a short break, but let's, let's unpack a little bit this story in Genesis chapter 22 of Abraham and something that he is called to do, which must have been heartbreaking for him, not just for himself, not just for his son, but for his wife, for, for a great many people. Unpack that a little bit.
1: I mean the story that we're looking at, when God calls him to sacrifice his son, uh he is at the towards the end of his life. He is old, he is tired, he's gone through all sorts of stuff. And then all of a sudden, if we if we actually look at the text in this is uh Genesis twenty two, verses one and two, sometime later God tested Abraham. I mean you'd have thought he'd had enough tests up to now, but no um there's another test he said to him abraham here i am he replied then god said take your son your only son whom you love isaac and go to the region of moriah sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain i will show you i mean he's an old man he's been through so much he's tired he's longing for rest and God lays this upon him. Uh, and maybe I should quote uh, a comment by Alan Redpath, the author. And this may apply a little bit to Abraham and to other people we'll look at and, and to ourselves as well. He says this When God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible person and crushes him. Now that sounds really tough, but. We see this crushing experience played out in the story that we'll come back to in a moment.
0: So if you're curious how God works in this particular story, you don't want to miss it when we come back. But if you have not already done so, I want to encourage you to pick up the companion book to this quarter's Sabbath school lesson. It is, of course, by Gavin Anthony, and it is called The Refiner's Fire. You can pick this up on the It Is Written website. That is itiswritten.shop. Just look there for The Refiners Fire by Gavin Anthony, and it will add more and deeper and broader dimensions to your understanding of this study that we're going through right now of Christian suffering. We're going to continue looking at the story of Abraham and others in the Bible when we come right back. See you in a moment.
2: Just a few hundred years ago, the Bible was not available to everyday people. Today, it's everywhere. What happened to bring the Word of God to the world? Join me for Ancient Wisdom, Present Power, as archaeologist and theologian Dr. Michael Hazel takes us back in time to the events that led to the Bible being propelled to the forefront of Western society, and then the world. We'll look together at a remarkable collection of rare books that tell the story of the advance of the gospel, of the battle between truth and tradition, of the life and death struggle between darkness and light, featuring artifacts of historical importance and insights that will grow and encourage your faith in God. Ancient Wisdom, Present Power, telling the story of some of the greatest events in human history and the development of the greatest story ever told. Don't miss Ancient Wisdom, Present power. Brought to you by It Is Written TV.
0: Welcome back to Sabbath School. Brought to you by It Is Written. We are looking at week number five now and continuing our study of the story of Abraham. We left off just a moment ago talking about Abraham and this this challenging isn't even a big enough and deep enough word for this. This excruciating thing that he was called to do.
1: Yes. I, I can't even begin to imagine what he was thinking and feeling. So God says, um, Abraham, go and sacrifice your son. The first thing that I think of is, is um, well, is, is the devil speaking to me here? Am I being deluded by Satan? And I think from the very beginning, and I think this is a key that we always need to keep in mind, Abraham knew god 's voice so that he knew it was God, and I think when we are in the middle of difficult things, if we haven 't learned to discern what who God is and how God speaks we 'll always have challenges now, that aside, this is still an incredible story okay God he knows very carefully clearly that god has called him to sacrifice his son so w- what is god looking for well i think the key or we begin to get a sense of what the key here is if you look in verse two he says take your son your only son now we're looking back as new testament christians so it's a little bit obvious perhaps is there someone else who had an only son who had to give him up now abraham perhaps didn't grasp it straight away but for, again, from a New Testament point of view, it becomes a little bit clearer because Jesus, when he, he's talking about this story, um, John eight fifty six, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Well, what did he rejoice about? What did he see? And more or less, more, how could he see? Now, this wasn't a vision. So how did Abraham see the coming of Jesus and what that meant? Well, the father, Jesus, um, God took him through this process where in his own experience, he began to feel the depths of what it was like to give up his only son. And I think it's, it's really interesting, particularly when we think about Abraham as the father of the covenant, the father um, through whom all the promises of God were going to go through. He could teach the generations coming after him, his children, and they could pass them on to his children about the depths of the sacrifice of Christ. And he wasn't doing it, it wasn't a theology class where he was saying, okay, I've got some interesting thoughts I'd like to share with you he had in the very depths of his soul the experience of going through this process of, of believing he was going to sacrifice his son so that he may understand the greatness of, of, of the sacrifice of, of heaven. But what for me is really interesting is that God asked Abraham to do something he never intended him to finish or complete, it wasn't the end product. It wasn't the end goal. It was the process. The sac- he wasn't ever going to sacrifice him. He told him to go somewhere and do something. God knew he was never going to do that. He needed Abraham to experience the process because that was of, what the, va- of the great value. So incredible pain for Abraham that bore great fruit in his
0: uh, a revelation in his own soul about the greatness of the father's love and of course lessons in there for us as well as we see how god how abraham trusted god even through this excruciating experience but came away with a deeper appreciation for god and his character as, as a result of it you also talk here in uh, monday's lesson about uh, hosea and this is this is a very uh, graphic picture of a of an episode that Well, maybe we ought to dive into it. Yes, it it, it is
1: graphic, and we may wonder why it's graphic, and maybe it becomes evident uh, as we go through. Of course, in in Chapter 1, we have this uh, this story of uh, Gomer, Hosea's wife, um, appearing to have children from other relationships, and... Uh, God is using this story as an acted parable to explain how he wants to reach out to Israel to pull them back to him. Of course, one of the questions is, you know, have I done something that is so bad that God won't want me back? And I think we have an answer even in this because here you've got the depths of of Gomer's infidelity uh, sleeping around all over the place And then we get to chapter 2, starting in verse 1. God says, "'Let her remove the adulterous look from her face "'and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. "'Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make...' And remember, this is is God speaking. (laughs) "'I will strip her naked "'and make her as bare as on the day she was born. "'I will make her like a desert.'" Turn her into a parched land and slay her with thirst. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. And remember, um, this is is about Israel uh, and how the way Gomer is behaving is just like the way God's people have been been behaving. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers. Who gave me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. And now God is speaking. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers, but will not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. So, I mean, I I imagine her kind of rushing around. God says, I'm going to put thorn bushes there. Imagine running fast into a thorn bush. Uh, and is she naked going into a thorn bush because she's not got any clothes Um, this is a a potentially really painful situation but here is the punchline in the second part of verse 7 then she will say after what God has been doing I will go back to my husband as at first for then I was better off than now she doesn't necessarily see a sound that joyful to go back but She's, she's turning the corner now and she's saying, okay, um, I'm going to go back to my true husband. So God's people, us, we, we think we're pretty good and loyal. But here in, in this story, Israel has been going so far away from God. But this story and the graphicness we were talking about of the story reveals how the, the extremes that God will go to to get his people back. Even though they have done these terrible things, he's desperate to pull them back to himself. And with the depth of the graphicness, I guess, of this, it just reveals to me the extent of God's mercy and graciousness and desire to bring me back to himself, even though I've been consistently messing up.
0: So there's there's pain, there's discomfort, uh, one might even suggest embarrassment in there as well. And yet God, through all this, brings about repentance. Yes. It's an, an where she begins to think, you know, maybe this isn't the best direction to be going. And may, maybe not completely joyful of heart, but, but at least turning that corner and, and heading back again. Uh, so many stories this week. Tuesday, we talk about uh, Job and, and we haven't, I wish we had weeks and weeks to talk about all this. In fact, you could probably do that with Job very easily. But we've got a a little bit of time here to talk about Job. Unpack this for us.
1: All right. So we we touched very briefly last week uh, on the story of Job, where he's talking about, you know, after this, I will come forth as gold. We're now right at the beginning of the story. And this story is... um, The scene is in in heaven, and the angels present themselves before God, and Satan is there. And verse 8 says something really astonishing. Well, if we go back to verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, and this is the kind of scary bit, Have you considered my servant Job?
0: That That's God speaking and bringing Job's name up to the adversary. That wasn't Satan asking about Job. This is God saying, hey, here's somebody that you might want to consider taking a look at. That's eye-opening. Yeah,
1: I and mean, you almost want to think, Satan looking and oh, no, I hadn't. But now you bring it up, um, let's have a closer look, which is what the whole book is, is all about. As, as we may know from the story, this is a... a he loses everything. But when we look in verse twenty of chapter one, this is one of the the reasons or one of the kind of insights which is sort of interesting, his response to this. He's just lost all his possessions, he's lost his children. I don't know how I would be feeling at that moment. But Job's response is worship. Verse twenty, at this time. This is after he heard the news of of this terrible loss. He got up, tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Now, I don't want to sort of impose too much into what Job was thinking here. But when disaster hits, we find him on his face in the presence of God. And I think this is really important because when bad stuff happens, the temptation is to start running away. Job says, okay, no, I am going to remain in God's presence. I I don't understand. I'm hurting terribly, but I'm going to place myself there. And that's, I think, one of the keys. Again, in another week, we'll come back to the end of Job. But at the beginning, we have this interesting kind of perspective we get an insight into his framework of way of thinking that stuff is coming it's terrible but i'm going to stay inside of god's presence
0: thanks for that gavin now i don't want to end without looking at isaiah 43 why is isaiah 43 so important let me read this
1: text god says to his people do not fear for i have redeemed you i have summoned you by name you are mine When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So here God is saying, as you're going through these difficult times, really difficult, the fire, the water, I am going to be with you in it. You're not necessarily going to be spared from these situations, but I am going to be with you when you are in it and i guess many of us are in similar situations and so if you are i'd like to pray for you um, in where you are right now father would you really do anything to bring us home again i pray that you will open our eyes that we may see your love and the fact that you are present with us at every moment even though it's dark around us. Strengthen our faith that we will trust you even when it seems impossible. In
0: Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for that, Gavin. And thank you for joining us. We're glad that you could be with us this week. Join us again next week for lesson number six, Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. God bless you. See you then.